What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, hello, and welcome to a Sunday evening edition of Musée and Thomas. My name is Chase Thomas, and I'm over, over here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Philip Musée is down there in Atlanta, Georgia. Philip, good evening, sir. How are you? Down there, uh, as in, I think I feel like you say that every week. It, it's like suggesting that I'm like beneath the Earth's surface, but I'm just south of. I'm not saying you're going to hell, Knoxville, or or. You know, I guess journeying to the center of the earth. Or You're taking. Why, why are you taking lines? this so literally? Well, I'm a I'm a literary guy, Chase. What, I mean, what do you? No, expect? that's my thing. Um, remember, you're the filmmaker. I'm the literary guy. I think you have to be fairly literary to be a filmmaker. That's right? true. I don't know. Is Kevin Smith literary? Did Mary have a little lamb? <laughs> I mean, these are these are truly the questions that. In this day and age, in 2020, I'm, I'm looking for answers to. I'm searching. Mm. I'm searching uh, far and wide, and I, I'm not sure if I've found the answers that I wanted yet. That is what's interesting is we've been doing these podcasts and getting to know each other really well. You are clearly, clearly searching, Philip. You're searching for something. Like, the difference between you and I, I think, I mean, there are lots, but uh, one key difference that I've noticed is that I'm not really searching and I've, I've, I'm, I'm on a mission and yeah. you're, you're searching, you're still figuring stuff out. You're still thinking broadly and you're still trying to figure out your path. And I don't know, I've always been like, nope, here's my path and here's how I'm going to get there. And I'm just going to do that until I get there. It's very interesting to me. I think, I think that's, um, that's probably halfway true. Mm. I think I know my path. Like I, I, I know that I want to be a filmmaker. I know that I want to use my life to create things that make people think and give people pause and, and, you know, provide a window into the human experience. But I think I'm the type of person that I just crave adventure period. So if I, if I choose, I I have no problem choosing a path and following the path. But as soon as that path gets to like, I don't know, a dead end where all of a sudden it's, it's like, okay, well this is like super, predictable i'm i'm turning around and i'm headed back to the intersection <laughs> i've got to find i've got to find uh another another adventure adventure at every turn that's uh not all not not all who wander are lost as uh as mr tolkien once said is that not tolkien? that i wonder that's not talking so. that's from alice in wonderland isn't it i'm pretty sure that Unlo- I mean, unless uh, oh, we're all, Carol said that first. Let me see. Not I'm pretty sure Tolkien said that. Maybe Tolkien was the one who said that. Like, yeah, it is Tolkien. I thought um, you were the literary guy, Chase. What's, what's up? What's the one in Alice in Wonderland? What's the Alice in Wonderland? Oh, we're all mad Let's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go down the rabbit hole. We've got a rabbit hole to go down today, don't we? Yeah, because um, I was 
I was very excited to ruin your week at whichever day you had to, to watch this movie. And oh yeah. I hope oh, yeah. it ruined it. Yeah, no, this was this was uh the most hilarious movie I've seen in a long time. Did you say hilarious? It was hilarious. I hope you're joking. Which is which is pronounced horrifying. Okay. Uh, gotcha. In Swedish. <clears throat> uh yeah, this this movie was terrifying. Well, let's set the scene. We're talking about Denis Villeneuve. Can you pronounce his last name? It's Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, which is not even close to how it's spelled. It's... Bro, you sound like such an American. Come on. It's like, do you go to foreign countries and demand that they speak English? No, they just need to reconstruct their spelling. It's all out of order. When I hear his name, I'm just like, no. It's what? Brother, it's Denis Villeneuve, and he's he's a he's a brilliant director. <laughs> I know he's great. I love him. Uh, that's funny. I could see you, like, going to I don't know, like a crepe shop, and in like the middle of Paris, and they're asking you in French like what you want, and and they're not they refuse to speak English, but you just. You just ratchet up the volume every time they clearly don't understand you. You're just like, oh, I want raspberries on my crepe, please. Well, this is why you I'll only go to Montreal, because they're required to learn English and French. Damn, brother. Wow. They get it up there in Quebec. I've always said. <laughs> they get it. They get Americans. The world for America. <laughs> I've always said Montreal, the unsung second hub. For Americans looking to get away, the unsung second hub. Well, you know what they say about everywhere else that's not America. <laughs> what is that? Get with the program, son. I, that is what they say. Uh, yeah. Well, you can pronounce his name. So the director of this movie also directed uh, Sicario and uh, several other very good movies. Um, what is his name again? Denis. Yep, Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve. Denis I don't Villeneuve. speak French. Yeah, Denis Villeneuve. Well, anyway, Denis Villeneuve <laughs> is fantastic, and uh, this movie is great. And um, I, I just let's let's start here. When you first saw the opening scene with Jake Gyllenhaal back to the camera, and they are zooming in in this Chinese restaurant on Thanksgiving by himself. In all mm. black. It's the first time mm. we see Loki. Still my favorite movie character of all time. He is hunched over, drinking his cup of coffee, having some Chinese food by himself on Thanksgiving in the pouring rain in <laughs> a very, very desolate, depressing town. It's always raining. It's always raining. It is always. It's not even Philadelphia, but it is in Pennsylvania and like whatever city it's in. It's it's always rainy. And it's always cold. I feel like there's no summer here. They just get winter year round. Yeah. They bypass summer. Um, you immediately know, right? Like, when once you see that, that, like, this is going to be a dark, sad movie, right? Like, oh, that opening scene is incredible. Well, that's that's one of the opening scenes. I, I can talk about that, but the... but the Do you mean, like, the... If you want to talk about the first opening scene... Well, that, I'm talking about the... I, mean, I, I, very, I start opening too. scenes based on when Jake comes into focus. <laughs> so I should clarify. There's, the like, opening a full scene 11 minutes. does not happen until Jake comes on the screen. And this is the first time we see Jake. Oh wow! Okay, so we'll start there. Um, well, I guess we can definitely start there. Uh, maybe we should just just give a bit of context. Yes. Uh, so so we've got Keller Dubber, 
uh, who's played by Hugh Jackman. Um, he faces a parent's worst nightmare when his six-year-old daughter, Anna, and her friend go missing. The only lead is an old motorhome that has been parked on their street. The head of the investigation, Detective Loki, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, arrests the driver, played by Paul Dano, um, but a lack of evidence forces Loki to release his only suspect. Dover, knowing that his daughter's life is at stake, decides that he has no choice but to take matters into his own hands. And there's all manner of darkness surrounding that last sentence. Um, So the scene in the the diner on Thanksgiving, it it, it just feels so weird to start there because there's so much that happened before that. But if you want to start there, like, okay. I was just joking. I just, I got to keep this going. You you know how I am. Like, I remember where I was when this opening scene started. And by opening scene, guess what I mean? When Jake came on the screen. And he's blinking heavily. He looks up. He's at, he asks what his what her fortune or what her sign or whatever is and her boss's yeah. sign and he's like she, he's I think a dragon or something because he wants mm-hmm. to get the check lowered and he looks down blinking heavily and he's like oh uh, air what is it like rude and obnoxious or something like that but um, yeah that's just great. the the boss of the I mean that scene is just very strange to begin with because like it's Thanksgiving. Right. He's he's in a he's in a in a like dining in a Chinese restaurant that's completely empty and you can tell that he's just like a <laughs> like a dark anti-hero. <laughs> you know like Yeah. Uh and he's he, it's up. not yeah, but he's not like a loose can. He's not like a loose cannon, Jack Bauer, cop on the edge, whatever. Uh, he's or, a little bit of a loose cannon. Hard, let's let's pour one out for our, our favorite brother. keyboard over here, dude. If anyone is a loose cannon in this movie, it is it is Hugh Jackman. One hundred percent. I have never been actually. Okay, so Hugh Jackman. The only other time I have been as terrified <laughs> uh, watching a Hugh Jackman movie, which which is which is like an oxymoron because Hugh Jackman is like. Uh, a, a, just a, like a delight to watch on on screen. By the way, we, we got to add uh, the greatest showman to, to our list, just because you hate music. Sorry, you just um, you tapped, you missed. I, the, I you, you broke up there. I didn't hear what you said. So oh, okay, okay, no, that, that's fine. Yeah, we'll just we can keep going. Uh, the only other performance that I've seen Hugh Jackman give that was this terrifying was was Logan. Mm. Logan Logan is straight up one of the most. Uh, and anyone I don't know could I don't know if anyone feels similarly, but it was one of the most like gruesome movies I've ever seen. Um, it was just shocking the whole time. And Hugh Jackman's like explosive energy, if anything, I mean, he's, he's the loose cannon in this. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, on the other hand, is more of a, the suave, uh, put together kind of quippy, uh, detective who challenges the police captain at every turn that he gets. And, and there are several scenes where he's, where he's, you know, rubbing, um, or butting heads with the captain, and I'm like, who's who's the real captain here? Who's the real captain? The captain does like, not come out looking great in this movie. No, he's just like, okay, well, j- or, like Detective Loki is just straight up being like, dude, like stop, <laughs> like get out of my way, or like sit down. Like he's just he's just like having he's just taking taking no bullshit from the captain. Because you can tell that he's a he's a man on a mission, right? Like he is. This is this is a guy who solves every case that he's that he's given. And when it 
increasingly over the course of this two and a half hour film, it looks like he's not going to solve the case. I think that's when the pressure begins to ratchet up. Um, but, but I think you're right. Like from the very beginning where we see uh, Jake, we, we, we get the impression that this is, this is a guy who's, who's not normal, right? Like I think, and, and like what, what was the last movie that Jake Gyllenhaal did where he played like a, like a normal guy, you know? So he's, I think he's in his element. I mean, he's pretty normal in nocturnal animals. I guess he's also pretty normal in wildlife too. <laughs> he is pretty normal there too. Yeah. Um, he had a stretch though, where he was just like, yeah, I'm not going to be normal in anything like velvet, uh, buzzsaw and everything. Yeah. He just was like, no, nah, I'm just going to be weird for a little bit. Um, it's amazing like one of the things that i this movie's very long and it is you, you really got to strap in because it is something like you're going to go down a lot of different rabbit holes and one of the things i wanted to ask you about is that like for me having already have seen this before um i watched it again this week obviously multiple times like one of the things that i wondered about you is that did you did you did you see the swerves coming did you see that kind of ending come did you see mm all the notes they were hitting and just being like, Oh, uh, in the middle of the movie, like there was just someone else. And obviously we'll, we can get into that and him just blowing his brains out in the, in the police station. But, um, there's a lot of different false positives in this movie. And you're just like, okay. Like I remember when I first watched it where I was two hours in and I'm like, I have no idea how this is going to end. I have no idea who's right. And one of the things that stood out to me, as I'm rewatching, it's just like, I can see how easy it was for Hugh Jackman's character to unravel the way he did because he was actually right this whole time. He yeah. knew he, he was right. And he just couldn't force his way into being right. And actually saving the day. Like he was never wrong. And because he was so adamant and trusted his gut so strongly that it just, everything around him, went to hell and we can get to the ending and what their futures would look like and everything like that. But it, it is pretty remarkable to me with how this movie works to see how it ends up. Did you have that same, um, experience? Yeah. I very much like you had no idea where this was, how this was going to turn out, but I was extremely invested in it. Uh, the screenplay was, was penned by Aaron, um, Guzikowski and, um, the the cinematography was done by by Roger Deakins, who um, was the same was the same DP who who shot you know uh, Blade Runner twenty um, twenty forty nine and um, and nineteen seventeen, which won the Oscar. Uh, I, and and it was those two elements, the script and the the cinematography, that I think kept me so engaged um, from the very so the the very first shot where uh, Hugh Jackman is, is, is saying the Lord's Prayer and a deer is walking onto the screen and the, the camera is just slowly, slowly, slowly inching back and we're, suddenly we're right between um, Keller and his son and then he takes the shot and then that's the scene. I mean... I mean, who opens a movie like that? I mean, it was just, it was just, it was, it was a remarkable, um, uh, balance of, of life and death. 
that I think set the tone for the movie in an incredible way because then they they put the deer in the car like ev- there's so much connective tissue between every single scene in this movie because right after they shoot the deer uh, uh, Keller and and his son get in get in the truck and his uh, the dad is talking about um, you know what like the response like the 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 le- the most important lesson that that his dad taught him was always be prepared and what is painfully ironic about that scene and this and the subsequent plot that follows is that Keller was not prepared he was 100% not prepared for the abduction of his daughter and the 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 unraveling the moral unraveling of what he was going to have to do to get his daughter back by any means necessary i mean he became a he lost a part of himself. I mean, he became a, a <laughs> effectively a, a depraved torturer, right? Like we, he tortures Paul Dano's character um, over the course of like five days, and it is just like that the shot of him of, a couple days after the, the beating, the where his entire face is just sewn and shut. Yeah, it was. Dude. It was grimy, and it was. Everything is. It was just so brutal. They show so much (laughs) violence. Like he gets. Like they do not hesitate to show Hugh Jackman being this terrifying individual who will stop at nothing to get his daughter back. But what he doesn't realize is he's losing part of himself by trying to get his daughter back. Like it's this moral quandary of like he is. Like we say, like he ends up being right about this to an extent, but. He went about it in the worst way possible because he let his, just his, not even insecurity, like his guilt and his wife rolling over when she's like addicted to the pills and sleeping all the time and everything during uh, the search for their daughter um, blames him and he can't handle it. And then his son just like, where are you? And he can't tell his son what's going on. He just has to tell his son to be the man of the house and step up. And then, like, everywhere he turns, it seems like he's letting everybody down around him. Loki's frustrated with him. Yeah. His wife is frustrated with him. His son calls him a drunk later on at the end of the... Like, they're everywhere he looks while he's trying to do the right thing. And from the beginning of this movie, you can tell he was a just a good blue-collar dad. And just struggling to get by and things like that. And th- he was, like, one bad thing away from popping. And, like, this is what set him off. And then he doesn't understand, like, there's no going back. Like, once you go down this road, you can't just be like, all right, got my daughter back, uh, back to <laughs> back to normal, back to the carpentry. Like, that's not yeah. how this is going to end. And he doesn't, he doesn't understand. And because he's so much of a loose cannon and Loki is so thoughtful and so just cerebral, there's nothing cerebral about Hugh Jackman and or Keller in this movie. But can Keller, you blame him? No, you can't blame him, but I'm saying that's the reason that he is under the ground and Loki is above ground looking for him. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. You see what I'm saying? We're like yeah. he was just a rabid dog and it finally came back to bite him. And Loki just always always measured, always thinking long term, always seeing the big picture. There was no big picture with Keller. And I think that was a good dichotomy there. <laughs> Always measured except for when he 
smashes his his desk and his keyboard into a million pieces. That was a measured uh, move. That was a little measured move. Classic measured move. <laughs> classic, yeah, classic, uh, classic detective who who miffs. Well, the hold case. on, just to be clear, what did that lead to, though? He did. He he discovered the connection between uh, the yeah the basically the drawing yeah the to... the coordinates. <clears throat> right. Um, so inter- So if we're pulling on this thread of uh, Keller's un- unraveling, right? Mm. So his his foil in in the torturing scenes is is uh, Terrence Howard, um, the character played by Terrence Howard, who is visibly v- reluctant to keep inflicting harm on this. Okay, on can this we stop right there? Person. Yeah, least favorite character in this movie is him by far. Hated this guy. He sucked. <laughs> I hate Why? this kind of person where Why? he goes along with it, gets grossed out, keeps going along with it, gets continually grossed out, then goes and gets his wife. And then his wife is like more into like, well, let's get her daughter back. And then they both eventually are like, yeah, we can't do this anymore. But yeah, it was, that it was, kind of person, he's back and forth. No, don't like it. No, no wish no, wash. He, he knew it was wrong and he should have stopped when he saw and just been like, nope, this is on you, man. I'm out. But then he did it for a couple of days. And then he's like, oh, I just can't do it anymore. And then telling on. Well, so what was yeah. the thing that what was the thing that set him off though? It was that he is that Keller took Keller took the the physical torture to a whole another level, where the the only reason that that Terrence Howard's character had wanted to call the whole thing off was because um, Keller essentially built this torture chamber. Yeah. Where instead of you know they realized that they couldn't keep you know, punching him in the face <laughs> into perpetuity. Finally, his carpentry that, paid off. <clears throat> yes. Carpentry paid off. <laughs> he built, he built this wooden box where he could essentially pipe in scalding hot water or freezing cold water. And that's like, okay, come on. Like there's a line, like we're talking, he's uh, like, literally wanna... picking him up and chaining him back. Like when we first see them just demoralize this kid, He's still picking him up and watching Keller just drub him with brass knuckles. We see that. He sees it. And he picks him up and does yeah, it. Yeah, but how much can a person stomach? It's still torture. Right? Like, he still no, went it, along yeah. with it. It, it, it's, it's, it is torture. Guess right? how much like, torture I'm going along with. Zero. Oh, you're... Oh, Oh, see, I thought I thought you were saying something different. I was like, all right, man, if you're going <laughs> to... Like, you're going to tap out after... After we ratchet this up to to no, I'm saying that water. he should have tapped out at zero. Been like, oh yeah, no, I'm not doing this. This is illegal. This is kidnapping. You're gonna go to jail. This is not the way. Blah blah blah. Like, right. no, I've been like, no, you're out of your mind. But the thing is, though, is who are either of us to or film critics uh, to put ourselves? Oh, besides that, but as 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 humans, right? Like as as the the. The, the the viewer segment of, of for this film that does not have children, right? Like I'm putting myself in the shoes of anyone who has uh, a, a young child, uh, a young daughter watching this film, and it in, it instantaneously becomes an order of magnitude more horrifying. This 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 film because there's there's this paralyzing element of powerlessness that you feel as a parent when your child goes missing. Like, 
I can't even imagine what it would what um what like Viola Davis <laughs> like when 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 um when Detective Loki came into the uh uh the house of the characters played by Viola Davis and Terrence Howard she is sitting at the table completely vacant of uh, of, of of there's no there's no signs that 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 anyone is is there because she's she's just like shell shocked and without even you know looking at at Detective Loki when he comes and stands over her like she just hands him the the photos of her daughter and says you know these these are the better looking photos and she just continues to stare off into the distance and Loki looks at her I thought this was a brilliant move as an actor and 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 this is a director <clears throat> he just stares at her for 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 four or five seconds as if to really put her put himself in the shoes of someone who has just suffered a devastating loss i mean the th- th- the amount of emotion that is packed into the that that those four seconds of her just staring straight forward and him staring down at her trying to intuit what she must be going through i i loved i loved that scene um but yeah it, like as a person who doesn't have kids you know it's like man okay well i, I can criticize criticize uh the actions of keller all i want but like i don't know what i would have done like what does papa me say do I I don't know. I mean, I was prone to wa- wander off as a child. Um, really? <clears throat> yeah. I was uh, not a wanderer. <laughs> I was not a wanderer. You were not a, a hopeless wanderer? No. No, I was always pretty fearful of uh, the other side. So, no, I was very much yeah. okay in my element. You were like, let me... Here's the leash, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I loved boundaries as a kid, 100%. <laughs> Please take the leash. And they're like... Chase, we, we we you don't need the leash today. You're 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Chase. You're going to college now. You don't need the leash anymore. I literally told my parent or told my uh, best friend's mom um, that we were going to roll a house before we went and rolled the house. <laughs> I remember that that was, that used to be a thing. Well, I mean, I like I was like, ah, this is gonna stew with me if I don't just go ahead and tell you. So I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you. We're gonna go roll a house. Yeah, like we're gonna commit a crime. Bye. Yeah, that's uh. Did you did you do time for it? I did not, but I will say um, one really funny story about rolling a house that we'll talk about another another occasion. But um, yeah, rolling houses uh, was a thing. I don't know if kids still see that. Do they still do that? No, but um, I did. There were a few incidents of uh, forking houses. Like forking mm. yards. Did, that's did way too ever... much effort. No, that's like way. <laughs> what is that? It's like a three-hour job. Yeah, but it's hilarious. It is not, funny. Not like I'd be I, super. I'd be way it. more pissed off about that than rolling. But like, I, I don't have that much stamina into destructing someone else's property. So I don't think that's. It's really. Oh, not my kind forks, of deal. plastic forks in a yard. Oh, is it plastic? Way... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pla- I mean, plastic forks in a yard to me are way less destructive than throwing paper into a tree our neighbor's house got rolled uh like 10 years ago and like there was there was toilet paper in the i love when you say like neighbor like we live in the same neighborhood wait wait which house uh first house in the neighborhood on the right Ooh, okay 
I know that one. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> um, great family, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't really know what the impetus of that was, but changing the subject. Right. Um, this is a natural lead-in back to uh, back to back to prisoners and uh, the Keller prisoners. the Keller um, trajectory, which the is saga. not great. And I love that this movie really does not run from that. That like nobody really like. Do we say anybody wins here? Does anyone really come out better off? Like it's two and a half hours where like things are bad and uh, things are probably going to stay bad long term. Well, you know, I think if anyone benefits from this movie, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's Alex Jones. <laughs> okay, Which is like it's not that's the character played by Paul Paul Dano. Mm. Um, this is not the Alex Jones that you're used to. Uh, this, this is, is the one that actually directed Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie we watched a couple weeks ago. Yeah, 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 Paul Dano. Um, I think he, if there is a such thing as a as a victor in this, I mean, I think, I think he probably is better off because it turns out the um, the amazing twist in this is that if we're gonna ruin the movie, yeah, the amazing twist is that uh, the guy who. And and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I want to make sure that I, that I, from what I understood, basically what happened was this. So, the two girls were playing in the neighborhood, and they went back to uh, one of the girls' house houses to find uh, like a hat or something, mm-hmm. or a safety whistle or something. And the character, uh, I guess it was Bob Taylor, the 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 actor who played um, was it Scarecrow and and Batman. Anyway, uh, he, this is um, like an extremely disturbed kid because it, it, it turned out that there was a, a, a string of, of kidnappings of, of children, like I guess 25 or 30 years prior. And um, the two people who ended up abducting these girls had been abducted themselves before. And this is where the theme of the movie gets really, really, really dark. Um, It becomes a very black and white, uh, good versus evil, in every sense of the words, uh, story. In that, you have this this couple... um, this couple played by, and I want to, I really want to get um, her name right. Holly, Holly, is it Holly? It's Holly Jones. And that's why Holly Alex Jones. has her name is because she hid his abduction by saying that this was her, um, her nephew. Yes. Yes. That's exactly. So, so Melissa, Melissa Leo. Who is fantastic Holly, in this. Yes. Oh, chilling. very chilling chilling same with paul dano like yeah. chilling. paul dano when he just raises oh the gosh. dog when they're walking oh down the that street. was so disturbing but 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 and i i really hate to say this but like these kids these kids are 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 uh, i mean they're they're broken unfortunately they have been separated from from their their parents and and all of you know the reality that existed prior. You meet his so, mother in this movie. She's like, I know he's still out there somewhere. 
when, yes, he, when yes. Loki visits the mom in the middle of nowhere, she's just like, my life ended a long time ago and watch it just sits there on her TV. Like, cause she, she'll never get closure. That's the other that part Bob of this. Taylor's? Was that Bob Taylor or was that Alex Jones? That was Alex Jones. That was Alex Jones's mother. I thought that was yes. Bob's mother. No, that was oh. Alex Jones. Oh, that's right. She was. Yes. Yeah, so he was reunited with him. That's yeah. So, so, okay. So back to the good versus evil thing. So, um, Melissa Leo, or the character played by Melissa Leo and her husband, uh, were devoutly religious for a, for a period of time. They lost their son to cancer, mm. and uh, they, as a result, they lost their faith in God. And as a result, <laughs> they took it upon themselves to. And this is a direct quote from the movie uh, to wage a war with God by take like by making children disappear so that we can turn them into uh, demons like, like you Keller, like you Keller, uh, um, Keller Dover. And that was just like, holy shit. This is, this is this is weird. <laughs> this is so weird because if you really think about it, what losing a child does to a person, I can only imagine has got to be losing a child in this way, not not to not to uh d- disease, but but to have a child taken from you. Uh especially a man as as devout as uh as as Keller Dover, who is who who is on his knees praying. Uh, yeah, it's several not a coincidence that movie. he has a very strong faith in this movie. It's not a coincidence, right? But he maintains his faith to the very last, right? Like he even when he's in, even when uh, Holly Jones uh, drugs him and puts him in the hole in the ground and says, "I hope you're alive by the time I throw your your daughter's dead body down there," ostensibly just to like. Uh, he she she wants him to be alive long enough in this pit to spend time like i guess contemplating his daughter's death it's so dark it's it's so so dark it's literally so dark and this is where the cinematography i think just takes the script to a whole nother level in that there, the the use of light in this film and the use of of rain and precipitation um, is is just mind blowing. I mean, it's absolutely breathtaking. From the scene where, you know, you have uh, Alex Jones is in the box, right? He's in the, the there's no light whatsoever except for uh, a tiny hole in the wall that they can communicate through. Uh, it's and I don't know how they lit this, but it was incredible. I mean, it's just a it's just black, but but with the tiniest aperture uh, of of like yellow light coming through, you can see the 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 despair on and the blood and the uh, just gruesomeness on his face. That was one scene that I think used light really really well. Another scene when when uh Keller Dover is in the hole in the ground and uh you know you've got the moonlight shining into into the hole and then slowly um 
Holly Jones like covers the hole and and he just finds himself in the darkness surrounded by darkness. I mean, this is just the embodiment of everything that he has been trying to uh, to push away. I mean, he's been trying to push away the darkness this entire time, fighting the darkness. And now he finds himself in the pit of it. That was profound to me. And then lastly, the scene where. uh, Oh, man, like the scene where uh, Detective Loki has been he's been shot. Uh, I guess like uh, oh, uh, um, in his in his temple or like some somewhere in close proximity to his eye, and he finds you know um, he finds Keller's daughter. He uh, she's been drugged, and he needs to r- race her to the hospital. And it's pouring rain, and he's driving. He's driving like a like a maniac. He's got his lights on. He's running through red lights, um, and he can't see. And, and the water is just like coming down. He's, he's just like speeding through traffic and just like weaving in and out of this, of this torrential downpour. And he can't see. That, and yet he somehow finds the will to, to get to the emergency room. And he, and he you know, opens the door and his, you can tell. I don't know, I don't know if, they, <laughs> if they plan this or whatever, but I mean, he opens the door, he slips. He's just he's just in such a hurry that he opens the door and 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 in front of the emergency room he slips because he's racing around to the to the back of the car to get, um, to get Anna to race her inside. But you can see how much this means to him, and that is that I think is what a true hero is and what a true hero looks like. Despite the rough edges, like I think we 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 do feel like he's kind of brusque in his interactions with the captain. <laughs> right but like he wants to get the job done and he did get the job done so detective loki we might need to to hire you for for your services in case uh i don't know i don't want to say in case i ever have a child that's abducted but in case i ever i don't know need some detective work i want this guy in the job what do you think happens do you think loki hears him yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, I don't. Well, that's how it ends, isn't it? Why don't you think that? I think it would have been a stretch because I think, I mean, it is a little on the nose of the prisoner's movie ending with the prisoner trying to get uh, Loki's attention underneath everything. But I I think where he was underneath the car, I, 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 don't, I don't think Loki figures it out because without... Um, Holly Jones, I don't think he would think to move that around and to get under there before it's too late. Because remember, it's not about whether or not he finds him seven days from now. He has to find him that day. Because remember, he's bleeding out over there. Yeah, I think... I don't think he finds him in time. No. And even if he does, guess who's going to jail for the rest of his life? I don't think he's going to jail for the rest of his life. I don't know. That's a pretty stiff sentence for beating, kidnapping and just... uh, beating and uh <laughs> torturing someone for a couple weeks i think uh that might be enough aggravated salt yeah like i think he's battery. gonna be gone away for a while uh his family's gone like he will not see his kids grow up if he gets out of there yeah yeah he's could. going to be wait for this one ready he's going to be a prisoner if he gets Ooh. out of there that was yeah. That was a, that was another thing that I liked about about this film, uh, because it's it's prisoners plural, but you don't know, like, 
to us, there oh, it only it only looks like there's one prisoner. Like Paul Dano is, is a prisoner. No, it looks like several to us. <laughs> I would say they're all prisoners of like different issues. Say more. I mean, so Holly is a prisoner of her grief. Um, she's like grief turn her down a just horrible path. We had her husband who was a prisoner of his own grief and coming out to the other priest and the priest literally killing him because he was so horrified and disgusted by um, what he had heard from this guy giving a confession. Um, then you have Alex Jones, who was a prisoner of Holly's as a kid, doesn't even remember at this point what happened. And he's a prisoner of his own trauma and does horrible things, not fully understanding what he's doing. Then you have, um, obviously, Hugh Jackman Keller, prisoner of losing his child and prisoner literally physically. Like, he's the biggest prisoner because he's the prisoner mentally, prisoner physically. He's all over the place. Um, prisoner is big part of his life. Loki is a prisoner of his job where that's all he does. That's all he knows how to do. He's isolated. He's a prisoner of just being really good at his job and what happens when you're really good at your job and you solve every case is that you care too much and he cares way too much about solving this case and asks for more time and believes he can get this done he is a prisoner that's why he breaks the keyboard he is a prisoner of his own job like he just can't let any case go he can't he can't do it and he is always going to be a prisoner of that fact um so he can never be normal um and never have a normal life like just prisoners all over the place here. Prisoners everywhere we go. <laughs> no, I think um, I buy that. I buy that. I was more so going on with like the the like. Obviously, there there are more ways to be in prison than just physically. So yes, I I hundred percent agree with that. And I think that's a great. I think it's a great summation. Um, when I I've taken. Um, uh, I've taken a few acting courses. Uh, not to brag. Well, yeah, no, I mean, not not to brag at all. Uh, obviously, nowhere it's near. It's very the easy level with the way you phrase stuff, Philip. It's very, it's very easy. Well, this is uh, setting up the question that, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm about to pose. Um, Metaphorically so or to my, me? No, no, okay. it's it's a direct one. So, in I wonder if. Uh, so basically, there's there's uh, an, an acting technique um, um, that that Meisner developed, where essentially you, in order to pr- to to produce an authentic experience um, for an audience, uh, something that's believable on the screen, you you have to go somewhere uh, that enables you to um, to feel that to feel the emotion that the character feels um, every time. So, so for example, like if you wanted to cry on screen, um, one of the things that you could do is to think about someone that you love, like suffering or, or dying. Um, So it's, it's like psychologically putting, putting yourself. What's that? I choose you. You choose me. (laughs) I'm I'm honored. I I promise not to. You're honored to get tortured and killed in my uh my dream, so I can. If it if it makes you real, cry, real tears. Yeah, if it makes you if it makes you cry, then that's I'm I'm with it. Um, so so essentially my um my question is where do you think uh 
these characters, especially Hugh Jackman. You still there? Yep. Oh, that was weird. Uh, where do you think these characters like Hugh Jackman and Viola Davis and and um, Melissa Leo, like, where did they go in their in their lives to tap into the type of trauma that's necessary to put something like this on the screen? Because it is not a it is not an easy thing to do to to be Hugh Jackman in this movie and to completely lose control. Um, I just I'm just wondering like what. Where do you they think were all actually abducted as children. <laughs> that would explain it. That would, Classic. Uh, explain they finally found the part that would uh, speak to them in their their experiences as children. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's hard to say. Like, I, I'd probably just have to read interviews. I'm sure they're all different. Like, are any of them known method actors? Um, because I like don't know. what. Joaquin Phoenix goes into to get in the Joker role, I think is a little different than uh, what Melissa's um, getting into to play the Holly Jones role. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say because I really don't know all that much about their um, their past and what kind of actors they are. I, I don't know. <coughs> yeah, just a. I guess I guess it's more of a rhetorical question. <laughs> rhetorical question then. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe we'll get them on the podcast one day down the road, and we'll we'll ask them. I think we should try. Or maybe we they just like aspired try. to be these people, and this was their opportunity. They've been waiting their whole life to, Oop. to be these kinds of people. So it was just a, it was an opportunity that uh, they just were chomping at the bit for. How about those? Uh, how about those snakes? <laughs> Creepy, nasty, like, uh, whoo. It uh, not great, and Loki over here just he gets annoyed and he just keeps opening them up. And um, yeah. like, what do you think you're gonna find the next one? Like he's surprised <laughs> at every every crate he opens up. That's what I love. I remember when I first watched this, I like wrote down my notes. I'm like, why is he still surprised? Why you keep opening <laughs> these crates? What do you think is in the next crate? Maybe uh, some kind of uh, holiday stash of holiday cards, or I don't know, the Tic Tacs. Um, Oh nope, more snakes. More and snakes part this of one. this movie is the uh, the chasing at the the vigil. Loki chasing oh, Bob yeah. Taylor. Oh man, before we get yeah. to him going to the house and finding the snakes, but like one of my favorite scenes of the movie for sure. Where like Loki locks eyes with them and he's just looking over, just studying who's doing what at the vigil, and they just lock eyes and it, an incredible chasing. And when he gets away, you're like, oh, this this really might just go. A, totally different way than what what you're thinking um what was your favorite scene in this movie <laughs> uh favorite scene seemed like you were pretty into the torture no i was definitely not into the torture um most so there's so I, the most memorable scene is when detective loki is following uh he's following keller back to um, the the apartment where he's torturing um, Alex Jones and uh, he go and he, he realizes he's being followed so to cover himself he or to cover for himself he goes into the liquor store and 
like buys a bottle of whiskey, comes back out, and he comes over to the he comes over to the detect the detective's car, and he says, "Why are you following me?" And uh, Loki says, "Get in the car." And what proceeds is this uh, this argument that gets hotter and hotter and hotter with every second that passes, and the amount of control that you're seeing Hugh Jackman start this scene with versus where the scene ends where he's completely out of control is just is just bone chilling because like I can only imagine I can only imagine being being a scene partner to Hugh Jackman in that in that car where he's screaming at the top of his lungs and banging on the dashboard and just completely uh, go like he's he's emoting, and he's drinking, and like you don't know what's gonna happen. But 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 Gyllenhaal just like stays completely cool and calm and collected, and he's just kind of trying to rebuff the situation. That to me was the most memorable scene. My favorite scene, uh, from like just a just a strict visual standpoint, was was actually the vigil, um, where you have all of these these lights, uh, on the yard, and it's. Obviously, it's nighttime, and then you have uh, like neighbors and whatnot coming up. But just the show of solidarity and support uh, among the community, and this this uh, this thematic outpouring of of light in the midst of the darkness of everything that's going on, um, I just think raises the dramatic profile of of the entire film up to that point because everything just felt so grimy and dark and pale and gray. I don't, I, I really wonder how they, I mean, they, they were really strategic about shooting this film because there's not, I don't, from what I can remember, there's not a single blue sky in this movie. It's always, it, it's always cold. It's always rainy. It's always overcast or like sleeting or snowing. So hmm. kudos to them. But, but the scene where there are you know are dozens and dozens of candles on on the lawns, and then Terrence Howard is coming back from his his long day at work, <laughs> torturing a man, <laughs> and he just collapses into his his uh, his 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 wife and his daughter, uh, played by by Zoe Soul. Um, he collapses into their arms, and we feel the weight of of all of this, and and no words really transpire. Right. Like, so it's, it's left, it's, it's up to us to interpret like what's going through his mind is, is he exhausted? Does he collapse because the outpouring of support is just so overwhelming? Does he collapse because, uh, these people are out here doing the right thing. They're doing right by him, but he's doing wrong by this, by Alex Jones, who unfortunately has, has the IQ of, a of, of a child, right? Like he doesn't know what's going on. Um, we don't really know why he coll- he collapses, but he collapses, and you have all of these candles burning behind him. I just thought that was beautiful. Hmm. The vigil yeah, was it, the vigil was great. Um. For me, I mean the the diner scene is still just iconic, and it's it makes me so happy. I watch it from <laughs> time still. Um, just the blinking and just how weird he is, and just that whole interaction <laughs> is just perfect. Um. I love him dearly, but uh, let me think. When I, the chase scene is so good. I love the scene when Hugh Jackman realizes that Loki's onto him, in the pouring rain, the cold, and 
there was real panic there and he he doesn't know what to do and he pulls into the liquor store buys liquor he's been sober for several years clearly he had a problem before this and he's willing to go in there throw away his sobriety to hide the fact that he is torturing this guy in his old apartment building and it's just stunning where loki knows the tension when they're in the car together because loki knows he's lying loki knows that alex jones is involved somehow and that this guy who's been missing it's just loki's too smart he's like no there's there's no one else who could have taken him but also what i was thinking about during the scene was that like that's how keller feels because he's like there's no one else who could have taken our daughters no one else was there it was just that van he had to have taken them i don't know how to prove it but i know he took him nothing else makes sense loki knows nothing else makes sense for alex jones's disappearance so in a weird way they're mad at each other for different disappearances <laughs> and they both know the other person's lying and they can't call them out on it because there's just not enough evidence so loki doesn't have enough as evidence to do what he wants to do and keller doesn't have enough evidence to get to do what he wants to do and it's it's very demoralizing for both of them and it's very frustrating and there's just so much juicy tension that um, i thought shown through very strongly in that in that car ride Yeah. Yeah, there's I mean, the whole thing is just a wild ride. It's um it's a thriller in every sense of the word. Um did you enjoy I this was... movie? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed it. What'd you do I after def- it? What'd you do right after you watched this movie? Uh I just I, I just went to bed. <laughs> there's nothing else. You can't just like go and do something else. Right. No, you gotta, you gotta, you just gotta get over it, like a little bit. You just gotta put some distance between this and and you. Maybe watch a musical or something. No, what? No, no, uh, no. I, I, I will, <clears throat> I will add that this was, this was Denis Villeneuve's. Um, this was one of his English language debuts. Um, he did. He he also prior to this or or maybe I don't know if it was prior or concurrently or when but he did another film I, I'm sure you've seen it um, called Enemy with with Jake Gyllenhaal yes. as well. Um, they apparently love working together. <laughs> they get each other. Yeah, yeah. He he says that they you know Jake is able to ask questions of of Denny that um, might like get under his skin but really challenge him as a director and i think he he appreciates that about about him um but yeah this was a this is a great flick for if you're feeling uh like you want to watch something super dark (laughs) it's both literal darkness and metaphorical darkness all throughout this movie um how would you rate it how many stars and we'll wrap up um, I would give this it, it, in an ideal world. I would give this four stars, but because it because it terrifies me, I'm gonna have to knock a star off because it seems like a it seems like one of those situations where you know <laughs> watch your kids. It's just like one of those chilling reminders that you you don't want to have to uh, remind yourself of. But 
I don't know. You just unless you man. have a kid that you're really trying to offload, then yeah. yeah. In which case, boarding school maybe. There's a film, by the way, called Stockholm, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. with uh, with Saoirse Ronan that that does it, it. It kind of follows a similar premise. I won't I won't ruin it, but if you want to check that out, it, it there's definitely some similarities. Oh, it's funny that it's set in Pennsylvania as well. <laughs> what is it about Pennsylvania that just prone to child kidnappings? Man, the capital of Amber Alerts. Maybe you should take that out. I don't know. <laughs> this this podcast not not able to be broadcasted in the state of Pennsylvania. Oh, no, I think we'll be all right. I don't think the state of Pennsylvania will be coming at us. Um well, you're up next, Philip. What are we watching next week? I would like for us to review the 2018 um, Can Palm d'Or winner, uh, Shoplifters. Mm. Have okay. you seen it? No. Yeah, I think I think it's time to to break into some to some more foreign language flicks. We gotta we gotta start uh, being not Americans. Well, perfect. I, I cannot wait to pronounce all of these names correctly. <laughs> well, you have a week. You have a week to learn them. Right. Noted director Hiroko Zawu Karita. Nailed it. There you go. All right. I like it. Do you think I need the subtitles or no? Uh, do you speak Japanese? <laughs> I, I don't. That was a joke. Um, uh, okay. Remember, is a callback to the whole American-French thing. All that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I... I Everyone has secrets, Chase. I mean, what? Me speaking Japanese? Yeah, maybe you're just modest. It's it's entirely possible. There is one thing that uh, people th- when people think about Chase Thomas, they go, "That's one modest guy." It would make sense to me. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Philip, me say, always a pleasure, my friend. We will be back with Shoplifters next week, where we will do the podcast entirely in Japanese. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.